Chapters 14 and 15 of That Affair at Elizabeth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. That Affair at Elizabeth by Burton E. Stevenson. Chapter 14. Recalled to the Front. Never were slippers and easy-chair more welcome to me than they were that night. I was thoroughly weary in mind as well as body, and as I dropped into the chair and donned the slippers, I determined to go early to bed, and to forget all about the Lawrence enigma. I was heartily glad that I was rid of it. It had proved so baffling, so discouraging, that I rejoiced at the chance which had taken it out of my hands. Burr Curtis must puzzle it out for himself." I fancied I could see him pacing up and down the deck of the Oceanic, staring ahead into the starlit night, bracing himself for that meeting which would mean so much to him. I wondered what Marcia Lawrence's thoughts were. Did she regret that she had fled? Did she already see the fatal error of that step? Ah, if her lover were only beside her there on the deck, as he might have been but for that cruel irony of fate which had swept her from him. She could not know that he was pursuing her, that he would be the first to meet her as she stepped ashore at Liverpool. How would she bear the shock of that meeting? I had bought a copy of the last edition of the record as I came up from dinner, and I shook it out and glanced over it. Apparently Godfrey had discovered nothing new in the affair at Elizabeth, for the paper made absolutely no reference to it, so far as I could discover. No doubt he had returned to New York immediately after bidding me good-bye. By this time he was probably deep in the untangling of some other mystery for the benefit of the record's readers. Sensations of to-day eclipsed those of yesterday, and I realized how quickly Burr Curtis and his affairs would drop from the public mind. But as I laid the paper aside and filled my pipe for a final smoke before turning in, I told myself that I could scarcely hope that they would drop so easily from my mind, however much I might wish it. Besides, I had left it unsolved and seemingly unsolvable, and a mystery of that sort is not easily forgotten. It is like an unfinished book, an unsettled case. It lives to oppress the mind and pique the imagination." I knocked out my pipe impatiently. The place for me was in bed. I was becoming obsessed by this affair. If I did not shake it off, it would end by getting such a grip of me that I could not sleep at all, or I would fall asleep only to be startled awake again as I had been the night before. That was a truly terrifying prospect. I started for my bedroom when a tap at my door stopped me. I opened it to find Mrs. Fitch, my landlady, on the threshold. "'A telegram for you, Mr. Lester,' she said, and held it out to me. I told the boy to wait. "'Thank you,' I said, and tore open the envelope. "'There'll be no answer,' I added, a moment later, and shut the door somewhat hastily, I fear, but Mrs. Fitch's eyes are sharp ones, and I did not wish her to see my face just then. I dropped into my chair and read the message again. "'I advise you to return to Elizabeth at once. New developments in which you will be interested. Godfrey.' "'New developments?' Ah, Godfrey knew me well, for already my fatigue was forgotten in the ardor of the chase, and a moment later I found myself changing from slippers to shoes as fast as my fingers could handle the laces. Mrs. Fitch met me on the stair. 
"'Not going out again, Mr. Lester,' she protested. "'Why, you'll kill yourself.' "'I can't help it, Mrs. Fitch,' I said. "'I've got to go.' "'Not bad news, I hope.' "'No. And you'll be back soon?' "'Not to-night, I'm afraid.' "'Oh, nonsense, Mr. Lester.' But I left her protesting on the step and hurried down the street. Mrs. Fitch meant well, but she was sometimes a little in the way. I took the elevated to Cortland Street and hurried down to the ferry, expecting every instant to hear the gong which announced the departure of the boat. But I found that I had ten minutes to wait before there was a train, and I spent them walking feverishly up and down the narrow waiting-room, where the road's patrons are herded like cattle behind the slatted gates. At last the gates opened. There was the usual rush to the boat, the slow crossing of the wide river with the cool salt breeze coming in from the ocean, the stampede to the coaches through the great Jersey City station, and finally I found myself in a seat, with a train rumbling out from under the long shed. I stared out into the night, wondering what the new developments could be. They must have been unusual and unexpected ones to stir Godfrey to sending me that telegram. But what could they be? For the present the case was closed. Curtis and Miss Lawrence were both in mid-ocean, and any further developments must await their meeting. Besides, it was only a few hours since I myself had left Elizabeth, and there had seemed no prospect then of anything further happening there. Godfrey had announced his own intention of leaving the place at once. He had said that the case wasn't worth wasting any more time over. What then had detained him? Was it possible, I asked myself, that Marcia Lawrence had not sailed on the Umbria, that the message had been merely a blind, that she had foreseen that we would trace it to the West Street office, that she had written it on a sheet of the steamer's paper for the purpose of deceiving us? Yes, that was clearly possible. She may have returned home, and Godfrey, discovering the return, had summoned me to be present at her unmasking. I had really only half believed that it was she whom Curtis had descried upon the Umbria's forward deck, but if she had indeed done all this, she must be far more deeply versed in deception than I had supposed. I should hardly have given her credit for laying a plan so adroit as that, but one can never judge a woman's capabilities. Suddenly conscious again of my fatigue, I laid my head back against the seat, and dozed away until the sharp call of the brakeman aroused me. Not until I had left the train did I remember that Godfrey had appointed no rendezvous. He might perhaps be awaiting me at the hotel, or at least he had certainly left a message there for me, and I started up the street but an inquiry of the clerk developed the fact that, while Godfrey was still stopping there, he had gone out immediately after dinner, and had left no message of any kind. For a moment I was fairly taken aback, so confident had I been, but perhaps Godfrey had deemed a message superfluous after the hint given in the telegram. I knew how he detested the obvious. He had no doubt thought that hint sufficient, and it was. Eleven o'clock was striking as I gained the street again and turned my steps toward the Lawrence place. If there were indeed any new developments, it must be either there or at the cottage that they had come to light. That was self-evident. That could be the only rendezvous. It was there Godfrey was awaiting me. 
so I walked on rapidly and in a very few minutes reached my destination. The house was dark and gloomy as it had been the night before. I entered the grounds and made a careful circuit of the place, but not a glimmer of light could I detect at any of the windows. There was nothing to indicate that anyone was stirring, nor did I come upon any trace of Godfrey, though I half expected to collide with him at any moment. Plainly there was nothing to be discovered here, and at last I turned my steps toward the path which led to the cottage. Then suddenly I stopped, for it seemed to me that I had caught sight of a dim figure flitting among the trees. I was facing the street, and the glow from the arc-lights there made a grey background against which I fancied I saw a shadow moving. I strained my eyes. Yes, there it was again, approaching the house along the path. I am no more superstitious than most men, yet for an instant the notion seized me like an electric shock that this was no earthly visitant. But I shook myself together and leaned forward, watching it from behind a sheltering tree. It went directly to the balcony steps and mounted them with a swiftness which showed how familiar it was with the place. Had I been right in my conjecture then? Had Marcia Lawrence really come home again? The question flashed through my brain like lightning. I had already delayed too much. It was time that I did something. In an instant I had gained the path and mounted the steps. One of the windows was open. I passed through it into the library. There was a sharp click, and in the sudden flare of light I found myself looking down the barrel of a revolver, behind which glared the sinister face of Lucy Kingdon. End of chapter 14 Chapter 15 A Battle of Wits I saw the swift spasm of hatred which crossed her face as she recognized me. I even fancied that her finger tightened convulsively upon the trigger, and I braced myself for the shock. But she did not fire. Instead she lowered her pistol with a grim little laugh. "'So it's you,' she said, and stood looking at me, her lips curving maliciously. "'Yes,' I answered. "'Who did you think it was?' "'Oh, I don't know. A burglar, perhaps.' "'You seem to have been prepared for him.' "'I always carry this pistol when I go back and forth through the grounds at night. "'And know how to use it, I dare say. "'I think I'd be able to defend myself.' "'I'm sure of it. Do you often go back and forth at night?' It's sometimes late when I get through here. But this time, I pointed out, you weren't leaving the house, you were returning to it. Is that any of your business, she asked, her eyes beginning to gleam. Perhaps not, I admitted. And yet you're capable of making a mystery out of it, she sneered. Let me relieve your mind. I'm staying with Mrs. Lawrence. She sleeps badly and wishes me near her and your exits and entrances are, I suppose, usually by the window? It's the most convenient way. Mrs. Lawrence doesn't object, then, to your leaving it open? I don't leave it open. You did just now. She looked at me a moment without replying, then laughed a short little laugh of mingled amusement and vexation. I'll leave you to puzzle that out, I think, she said. You're so ingenious, you'll surely hit upon the explanation. I scarcely expected to see you here again, she added. You thought it worth while to return? 
"'Yes, there are one or two points which are not quite clear.' "'And you expect to make them so?' she asked with a mocking smile. "'How, by lurking around the house like a thief and following women?' There was something in her tone, her look, her attitude which caught my attention, a sort of confident triumph, as of one who plays for a high stake and wins. She was no longer anxious and perturbed as she had been the day before, nay, that very morning. She thought it safe to flout me openly. "'So you convinced Mrs. Lawrence that you and your sister were not guilty?' I asked. "'But of course you'd do that.' "'Guilty of what?' she demanded, flushing darkly. "'Guilty of causing Miss Lawrence's flight,' I answered bluntly, "'of wrecking her life.' "'Do you believe that?' "'I know it.' She laughed scornfully. "'You know a great deal, it seems.' "'More than you think,' I retorted. She flushed again and bit her lips to restrain their trembling. "'Though there's one thing I don't know,' I went on, determined to strike home if I could. "'I can't imagine why Miss Lawrence should have chosen your house as a place of refuge. She must know that you hate her, that you waited like a snake in ambush for the moment when the blow would pierce most deeply. She must see that you are using her to avenge yourself.' A sharp click interrupted me, and I found myself in darkness. I heard the closing of a door, the turning of a lock. When, after a moment's groping along the wall, I found the electric button and switched on the light again, I saw that the door leading from the library to the hall was closed. I tried it. It was locked. "'Good night, Mr. Lester,' called a low, mocking voice from the other side. "'Please turn off the light before you go, and close the window after you. "'Another thing. I'd advise you not to disturb my sister again to-night. "'It would really not be safe. "'And I hope you'll let me know when you succeed in clearing up those little points you were speaking of. "'I'm immensely interested in them.' "'She laughed again, and I heard her footsteps die away down the hall.' Feeling absurdly foolish, I switched off the light and left the house. Plainly, Lucy Kingdon had ceased to fear me. She believed that she had won the fight, that her position was impregnable. Either she thought that Marcia Lawrence had escaped, that we had not traced her to the Umbria, or she knew that the telegram was a blind and that we had been misled by it. Which was right, I wondered." and she must have come off well too in that interview with mrs lawrence which i would have given so much to have overheard must have convinced her of her innocence else she would not still be employed as a maid in the lawrence house and retained so near her mistress how had she done it how had she succeeded in blinding her mistress so completely then a sudden thought stabbed through me was it possible, I asked myself, that Mrs. Lawrence had been a party to the deception, that she had knowingly assisted in the farce of the telegram for my benefit? But as I reviewed her behavior at our morning interview, I could not believe it. She was no such consummate actress as that would imply. If I was a dupe, then she was a dupe also. Busy with this problem, I made my way through the grove along the path back to the Kingdon Cottage, and stood for a moment looking over the hedge before opening the gate. 
There was a light in the room which I took to be the dining-room, but even as I gazed at it the light moved, a shadow crossed the blind. The light reappeared in the kitchen, faded, and disappeared. Then, a moment later, my heart leaped suffocatingly as I perceived a glimmer of light at the ventilator in the foundation. What was this woman doing in the cellar? What was the task that was going forward there? I entered the grounds and started forward along the hedge, when suddenly a hand reached up from the shadow and held me fast. For an instant I struggled fiercely to free myself, but only for an instant. "'Come, Lester, sit down,' said a voice carefully repressed, but which I nevertheless recognized as Godfrey's. "'I was looking for you,' he added, as I dropped to the grass beside him. "'Oh, is it you, Godfrey?' I asked, much relieved. "'I rather thought you might be out this way when I found you weren't at the hotel. "'What are the developments?' "'Wait a minute. I wonder where that light has gone.' "'It's in the cellar,' I said, and pointed out to him the faint glimmer which marked the ventilator. "'It was there last night. I sat here for over an hour and watched it, "'and I told him briefly of my adventures of the night before.' He listened without comment until I had finished. "'It's a pity you didn't tell me that this morning,' he said. "'I didn't see that it was connected with the case in any way, is it?' "'I don't know,' he answered shortly. "'Perhaps it is. Did Miss Kingdon mention it when she saw you this morning?' "'Yes. She said she'd been in the cellar putting away some fruit.' "'Absurd. There's no fruit this early in the year.' Besides, even if it were true, she wouldn't have to repeat the process again tonight. What else haven't you told me? I laughed and recounted my adventures from the moment Mrs. Lawrence gave me her daughter's telegram until that other moment when Lucy Kingdon left me alone in the darkened library. He listened without interruption, his eyes on the glimmer of light at the ventilator. "'Yes,' he said, "'I saw Lucy Kingdon leave the house a few minutes ago. "'Her sister's alone there now. "'What do you suppose she's doing in the cellar?' "'I can't imagine.' "'You could see nothing?' "'Not a thing except her shadow moving back and forth.' "'Moving back and forth?' "'Yes, it seemed to me that she was alternately rising and stooping, "'as though she were going through some sort of exercise.' She'd hardly go into the cellar at midnight to exercise. No, of course not, but that's the only explanation I could think of unless she's bowing up and down before an idol. Godfrey laughed grimly. That would be a unique solution, he said. Fancy our headlines, devil-worship at Elizabeth, fantastic midnight orgies in a cellar. Wouldn't that stir the public? But I'm afraid it's a little too fantastic. "'Could you hear anything?' "'Only the faintest of faint sounds. "'I couldn't make anything of them. "'Well, there wouldn't be any sounds at all "'if she were merely bobbing up and down before an idol. "'Was she alone last night?' "'Yes, her sister spent the night with Mrs. Lawrence. "'Godfrey,' I added, "'you haven't told me yet why you sent that telegram. "'Has Miss Lawrence returned?' "'Not that I know of. "'Furthermore, I don't think she will return very soon.' "'Then you think she really sailed?' "'I think—I don't know what to think, Lester. Give me a moment more. Isn't there a window to the cellar?' "'Yes, but it's closely curtained.' "'Well, I'm going to take a look myself,' he said. "'Wait here for me, and be as patient as you can.' 
I saw him go cautiously forward toward the ventilator and stoop down before it. He remained there motionless for some moments, then disappeared around a corner of the house. I sat there waiting for him, thinking, not without some chagrin, that as usual he had pumped me dry and given nothing in return. It was really unfair of Godfrey to expect everyone to play into his hands. And yet, I reflected, if he hadn't wanted to be friendly, he would scarcely have taken the trouble to send me that message. I looked up to see his tall figure coming toward me through the darkness. He dropped beside me and sat for a moment silent, only as I caught a glimpse of his face I was startled to see how white it was. I couldn't see a thing, he said at last, except a shadow moving up and down, as you said, and I heard the sounds. The woman is working at something in the cellar, something that requires time, something which must be done secretly. I couldn't make anything out of the shadows, and not much out of the sounds. At least I fear it's only my imagination which gave them the significance they had for me. What significance did they have, I asked? I'm half afraid to tell you, Lester, you'll laugh at me. But as I bent outside that ventilator yonder with my ear against it, I could have sworn that the person inside was engaged in shoveling earth, shoveling it into a grave. A little shudder ran through me at the words. Never was laughter farther from my thoughts. A grave, I stammered. But whose grave? I don't know. Marcia Lawrence's, perhaps. Marcia Lawrence sailed on the Umbria. You don't know she did. You don't even believe she did. Whether she did or not, who would kill her, and why? Ah, if you come to the why and wherefore, I can't answer you, not yet. Besides, I went on, the writing on the message left at the West Street office was her writing. Perhaps it was only a good imitation. You can't be absolutely sure that you've ever seen a sample of her writing. There's nothing to prove that she wrote either the note or the message. But Curtis identified them. He was sure the writing was hers. Curtis wasn't in a condition to be sure of anything. But suppose it was hers. She may have wished to blind her mother and Curtis completely. She may have wished them to think that she had really gone abroad. She must have foreseen that you would trace the telegram. She may have done all that before she came back here. Came back here, I repeated, suddenly finding a dozen arguments against my own theory of half an hour before. Walk into the lion's jaws? Nonsense, Godfrey. Place herself in the power of the people who, I suppose you think, killed her? I don't think they killed her, Godfrey said composedly. My belief is that she killed herself to escape her husband, to get out of the tangle in which she'd involved herself. Her husband? You cling to the husband, then, do you? More than ever. He's an Italian, a tall, well-built, handsome fellow with black eyes and a most becoming black moustache. He has a florid complexion and can speak English, though with a strong accent. He smokes cigarettes, which he rolls himself, and he has lost the tip of the little finger of his left hand. He's fond of music, perhaps himself a singer or musician, and it may have been as instructor that he first met Miss Lawrence. I had been staring at Godfrey open-mouthed. I could restrain myself no longer. But how do you know all this? I gasped or is it merely a fairy tale? 
"'It's not in the least a fairy tale, my dear Lester. I know it because this estimable gentleman was himself in Elizabeth yesterday. The letter which Miss Lawrence received appointed a rendezvous at the Kingdon Cottage. It was here she fled to see him, to buy him off, as she had done once before.' End of chapter 15